Area code. Back in Kalem, and it sees Eastern Cape racing legend Chopsy Puka and his all black team made up of Ukulile Letlaka and Philip Kekana claim their spots in this highly contested undyed sports. This morning, we are joined by Uchopsy Puka, who is a legendary racing champion who was born and bred in the Eastern Cape in the rural village of Fukumbu. He started motorsports in 1998 and he has been in the motor uh, sports till to date. Chops holds two national champions awards. Back to back, he's one of the leading black people in the undyed, dominated motorsports. I mean, come on, we have a legend in the building. Mr. Chopsipuga, welcome to the area code. Chopsipuga? Hello. Hi, sir. How are you doing? Okay, and yourself? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence this morning on the area code. What an honor to have you. Absolute pleasure, sir. Now, sir, from growing up in a village of Fukumbu to becoming a racing champion, what's that one thing that still lives with, um, within you that you got from where you were raised? Uh, humility, most importantly. And, and the fact that at least I got to have an opportunity to chase my uh, childhood dream and um, watch it come through. When you say humility, who taught you that at a young age? Well, it comes from my grandfather and... Basically, I grew up in a very galvanized, structured home. Uh, what is black is black. What is white is white. If anything becomes gray, it's not acceptable. So uh, that's where it comes from. Ah. What did you like about um, about Europe in the early 1980s when you fell in love with motor racing? Different country, different atmosphere. Things are very different there from motorsport level. They're taken to greater heights. I think... The last time South Africa was able to compete at that stage with the caliber of cars we had was probably in the early or mid-1990s, maybe 98, 99. But uh, with this new GT3 formula, we we head in that direction again. Mm. At that time, what was your favorite car? I've always had been keen on a... Supercars, Porsche, Lamborghinis, so on and mm, so forth. Mm. But, uh, I mean, you always see them as a child from afar. And, yeah. and you must remember, you know, when you, when you grow up in a, in a country like ours and you start flying overseas, then you see that how big the world is and how many opportunities are out there in the world. And if you can have uh, the right tools, the right support and the right opportunities, you could be amongst the best in the world. Yeah, when you say how big the world is, what made you realize that? What is it that happened that made you think that actually the world is so big? Well, I find it funny, you know, I found this funny. Uh, First time I flew, I flew to Belgium. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we landed at Heathrow. And I couldn't believe the amount of flights that were staggered behind each other. Mm. It looked like they were racing planes because every plane was behind the other. But you could count maybe 15 planes staggered behind each other going to land at the same time. So that to me was was mind-boggling. And the amount of people just in one airport, in one area, Mm. was just mind-boggling. Those people were traveling all over the world. So that's what just opened my eyes. That wow, world is quite something special. Yeah, absolutely. And what role did Terry Moss play in the beginning of your career back in 1999? Very vital role. It was molding, it was building, it was shaping... Uh, the talent to what it had become and hence we were able to produce 
two championships back to back in a in a single make series. Mm. When you say it was milding and molding, what's that m- one memory that you still uh, remember at this point? But there's so many memories, you know. I, I, I I'm privileged to have gone to a multiracial school mm. in Coxted where one could mingle with the other race. Yeah. And then I I then worked in, in Port Elizabeth in a corporate environment. But prior to that, having gone to that school, sort of set the foundation on understanding other people's culture and other people's behavior and yeah. how people see things, you know. We we call people uncle in the, in the, in the other sense. Uh, Terry doesn't want you to call him Terry wanted you to call him Terry, so it just didn't make sense. But but that's part of the the the, 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 the European culture. But then what happened was, having spent a lot of time with him, uh, something in in motorsports generally which you have to be very good at, it's the ability to stop the car as late as possible. Um, we call it late braking, mm. and that we learned to master so well in the building phases of. Of, of the career and it was one of the specialities where I could come into a corner and break the car very late than my other competitors and that's what worked well and that's what shaped us to win a number of races it's the confidence and the ability to stop the car as late as possible mm. uh, when you're saying that um, you went to a multiracial school and I'm sure there's different cultures as you've mentioned the different dynamics we all have different beliefs at that time during your time uh, in school is there anything that you would like to see differently happening in schools in South Africa that was that you did not like should I say back in the year you know I was a very reserved guy mm-hmm. I never really got tangled in any of the racial things you know I always got along with everybody but I wish people could just have a little bit of tolerance over one another and uh, not quickly to be throwing the first punches and uh, saying all sorts of negative things. I mean, it's something that we we find uh, sometimes uh, the bad and, and use it in the wrong context. I mean, a, a black person will always be a black person. A white person will always be a white person. Yeah. Your ID document, if you're black, says you're black. A white man's ID document says is white. So there is those racial groups which you cannot change in life. So it's just that we just must find uh, a rhythm and pulse and a place where we could just live with one another peacefully, not degrading the other human, vice versa. Yeah. And I know there's a, there's a family member of yours who worked at a BP garage where you bumped into Terry Moss, yeah? Uh-huh. And, then, yeah. and then you bumped into him and then you got into 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 the into the motorsports by chance. Tell us about that experience. It was very instrumental. Mm. The key, which was the opening key that sort of propelled the career because I think at the time there was transformation taking place in different sports like cricket and rugby. And in motorsport there wasn't much. So he had a friend that was friend with Terry mm. and they were sitting in a restaurant in Port Elizabeth and the topic came up about transformation and Terry said, we've tried, we haven't seen much talent out there. So he then said, well, we'll try, just try and try chops and see what becomes of that. Yeah. At that point in time, I was doing my mechanical engineering in East London Technical College and that I had to do uh, my internships at Volkswagen Motorsport. Yeah. And that's where the whole thing started, because when I came into Volkswagen Motorsport through Terry, 
I learned to understand how the mechanics of the engine work, the importance of setting a car, the importance of basically it revolves around the racing car, shredding weights, balances, and all that stuff. Yeah. And then on the last day, we went testing this racing car, and he asked uh, the MD at Volkswagen Motorsport at the time, his name was Klaus Chopper, he asked me if I could test the car. I said, no, nah, you know, Terry, you've got to go to a racing school. Terry said, I am the racing school. So he put me in a car and he showed me what I should do. I did everything that he said I must do to the T, and I was just one second of the pace, having never raced a racing car before. At that time, did you have your driver's license in order? I think so. I think I was 18 <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so when you're saying you, you, you did everything that he told you to do, what is it that he told you to do? In, in, in racing, it's something we call racecraft. Okay. And we call sometimes refer to racing lines. So a car must brake at a certain point and it must turn at a certain point and you must accelerate at a certain point. Uh-huh. So we refer to these points. It's a braking point. It's a turning point. It's at the apex. And from the apex, it starts moving away and sort of taking the right uh, direction after turning where you tend to come straight. Mm. So when you get to the apex, you must be ready to accelerate at the apex. You can't be coasting at an apex. So those are the critical elements that help you go quicker in a car. So those were the things that he was referring to because I've never driven a racing car before. I've never really followed the lines. I've always just watched them over TV, so on and so forth. And um, on an international front, Etin Senna was my role model. And funny enough, on the local front, uh, Terry Moss was my role model. I just liked the way he drives and the fights between him and uh, Sarah Van der Merwe, Tony Vienna, the list goes on. Yeah. When now you are, I'm picturing this in my head right now. You are at a BP garage or, and you're meeting Terry Moss. Now you are coming out of a racing car and did everything that Terry told you. After you have stopped, now you've parked the car, you are done doing everything that Terry told you. How are you feeling at the time when you have a role model right in front of you? It was quite daunting, but I tried to control my emotion. I got into the car, did what I needed to do. But remember, I had seen him before and he kept coming in and checking at the workshops that were like doing what we were supposed to do, so on and so forth. And that was right. So I think from a hard pacing point, my heart was way well under control. And um, now going forward, I didn't even understand that I was one second of the pace. I knew, I understood what it meant because in racing terms, if the other guy is a second off your time, he'll be behind you in one way or the other. But when they told me I was a second of the pace, well, I jumped for joy, but I thought, well, it's not going to get anywhere. I even said to a friend of mine who was with me at the time, uh, Gabriel, I said to him, you know what? Uh, I can say I've lived my dream because I always wanted to drive a racing car. Mm-hmm. So if this comes through, it comes through. If it doesn't come through, it doesn't come through. But I can tick that box. I've driven a racing car. What did Terry see in you? Why did he have so much faith in you? I really don't know. But <laughs> what I do know is when I got his number, I phoned him nonstop. Uh-huh. Uh, I sort of pressured him into giving me the opportunity. And I told him I'm not going to disappoint. I know how to drive a car. I don't know how to drive a racing car. But if he taught me how to drive a racing car, I can assure him I'll do the best I can. Ah, so you were the pain in the gluteus maximus, huh? 
a, a serious pain. Uh, serious pain. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he talks about it to this very day when we talk about it. You know, people asking how we got together. He says, "Yo, this guy." Could be, you know, at some stage he said, "Listen, if you call me again, I'm not going to pick up your number." I said, "I understand." Then maybe towards the evening I'll call him again. Mm. Then he says, "Yo, man, I told you not to call me." I said, "Listen, man, you don't understand this. Yeah. I, I need to help you understand this." That's how it happened. Now we we cannot um, say your name and not mention legendary, um, legend name into it. You know. Now one of your highlights is that in two thousand and one you made history by becoming the first black racer. Um, black racer to win and lead the national status championship how was your mental state at the time i i, I must say this I, I i i really tried to keep my composure through all this because there was an intense pressure mm. building up to that last round of the championship i think we were separated by two points it could have gone the other way because going into Kalami. the my rival was one point ahead of me so i qualified on pole and then I got the point and we were equal. And uh, so the first race was so intense, I, I tried to control myself to the best I could. And when, when I won it, I think it was quite a tearful moment. I, I, it took time for me to shed a tear because uh, it meant so much. My grandfather, I think it passed away that same year. Um, and um, it was quite interesting that uh, I could have won a championship and, and and Terry it was it was so emotional for him because yeah. thinking of the background where I come from and where we were and to come onto a national platform and have a championship, not win it by miles, but to be able to contain yourself under that immense pressure mm. to win a championship. It's probably unheard of for men of colour at that point in time. Absolutely. And how did you celebrate your first win of South African champion in the Engine VW Cup in 2002 as a very, black driver? It was a very simple one. We yeah. came back, I came home, celebrated over lunch with my family. Then I asked Cherry to allow us the opportunity to load the, the car on the truck and take it into the rural village in the Transkai so people could see because... You know, you have different types of people supporting you, elderly people, young guys, but they can't get to these tracks because they're limited by the resources they have. So for them to see the car and see what it looks like in reality, touch and feel, take them for a ride up and down the street, mm. it was just mind-blowing. And two just was blockaded by, by a lot of people who couldn't believe that they were seeing a racing car like that. Oh. And w- what are some of your proud achievements? Wow. <laughs> From a racing aspect, I, mm. I'm proud of what we've accomplished. Mm. It's, not, it's not on my side. It's, it's a combination of many people, many factors. My family, the team, the sponsors, the supporters, and everybody at large. All that comes together. And um, I'm, I'm very proud of having had people that had been behind me and believed in me and supported me all the way to the top. Yeah. So the, every championship had, had its own special mark in my heart. And every European test, race, they all are different because of a different range of emotions in different times. Because you are in a different space, in a different world, at a different time in that space of, of, of time. 
Speaking of um, uh, of emotions and time, what brought you to Kunu where you ended up bumping into the late Nelson Mandela? Well, a friend of mine was um, involved in uh, putting together one of his uh, uh, grandson's weddings. So uh, we were, I was just part of the people that were there and... Um, most most importantly, what I was trying to what we were trying to achieve at the time was also trying to speak to the old man mm. to assist us to get into Formula One because of his relationship with Fabio Paratore, who at the time was uh, the team principal of Benetton, and he also had a strong relationship with with Erkelsten. And I think at the time, the, we should have we should have done very differently rather than speak to him and he give it and he handed the thing over to. A guy who was not very, who never understood motorsport, and that ended up going nowhere. That's that's one thing I think I regret in my life was talking casually with the old man about it. <laughs> he did his best to try and assist where he could by thinking that someone will take it further. And I think maybe if we could, if if we would have gone the trajectory route and did all the appointments and gone to the office, spoke to Zelda Lorancha, it could have been, it could have happened because at the time. When we were beating to get into Formula One, Lewis was doing Formula Renault. Mm. So we could have been there. Whether we would have been right up there is something that's remained to be seen. Because I think at the time when you're young and you don't have responsibilities, there's no there's no there's no stake at the ranch. So you give it your best. You take all the unnecessary chances. Mm. You crash before you understand. You can't. Yeah. Overstretch a vehicle going into a certain corner. Yeah, when you say um, you were planning uh, about the Formula One with the old man, did that hinder? What, what was the problem there? Why didn't it go? Why, why was it not successful? Well, primarily, it was giving somebody a task to do that was out of his depth. Oh. So, the guy he thought would have been able to do the necessary communications and uh, give him feedback because that was it when we, when we were talking around it we were saying give me feedback if you like their response and you don't like their response give me feedback because he had the uh, he had the list of achievements in front of him and it was mind blowing that a guy that's grown up in a rural village probably with 50,000 or 20,000 people mm. or 15,000 people to say the least could have probably achieved so much, raced overseas, did a 24-hour endurance race, prepared at the time when we came off and gave it to our teammates. So it was quite an achievement because when you go to Europe, the circuits are wide, the place is daunting, it's really intimidating because it's nothing like that you're used to. And the guys over there are really, really fast because they they, they, they get to get into a racing car at a very early age of their life. At five years of age, those guys are good to go and they're being bred for the right positions in their careers. Mm. What's your role in the in the in the motorsports uh, South Africa? Because in two thousand and two you were appointed as a bat, as a board member. Correct. As a board member in two thousand and three and obviously you run your term which consists of three years. So after three years I said thank you very much. We're not going to do another term so they could find somebody else that could do another term to replace me. But we, we, we talked about transformation at large. Mm. And the thing is with transformation, unfortunately, because motorsport is such a, a very high demanding financial sport. 
So it's not sometimes appealing to an, a number of people. It requires a bit of manufacturer funding and it also requires petroleum funding because you have to look at the listing priority of uh, big corporate giants mm. that are prepared to spend their money into in, in the sport and perhaps develop someone. I mean, we're seeing it in Europe. I don't think in Europe, out of Europe, people could be minority, black people could be minority. Yeah. But you're seeing there's only one man of color at this present moment who's shining, and that's Lewis Hamilton. So you ask yourself, Lewis Hamilton has probably been there for 10 years or so, or 7 years, or 8 or 10, whatever the number of years is. But you're not finding anybody else having the same opportunity that he has. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in the rural village of Kumbu with no street lights, all I had um, to look out for when driving were young chicks, goats and pigs. My capital city was Mbata, was Mtata rather, but I competed against the best in the world. So I say impossible is nothing. And those are your words, sir. What is it that you still want to achieve that other people would think it is impossible? I think the last probably racing achievement I'd like to do is to take part in the 24-hour race endurance race in Le Mans. 24 hours racing? In, in Le Mans. I mean, we're going to be doing the nine-hour now in Joburg. I mean, it's, uh, it's also uh, a huge task. It's got to be done. It's between me, Golile, and Philip Kekana. So yeah. we come in as an all-black team. So it's good to do it in our soil and it, uh, and particularly... It gives it a bit of credit because it's it's an international endeavor. Ah, so w- w- how are you training for a twenty-four hour race? So it's 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 different muscle groups that you'd be training. Obviously, your arms, mm. your legs, uh, because legs do a lot in terms of breaking. Your hands, you've got to have that hand grip uh, tool to strengthen your your arm, your wrist because of there's a lot of tanning and then you do quite a lot of cardio because you, you sweat in the car and cars that sometimes in, inside the car temperatures can soar up to 34 degrees 40 degrees at times mm. because it, it becomes very hot inside this uh, it's like a, a pressure oven mm. now the Kyalami 9 hour race is back in Kyalami what can we expect? You just can expect us to finish. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, to, and win. You must add that finish and win. Add that. Yes. Yeah, because because before you can win it, you've got to finish it. If you don't finish it, there's no chance that you're going to win it. <laughs> How are you? Uh, when you don't when you don't win, you know, we all feel like we haven't done to our best abilities. Is there a way how you co- how you cope if you don't win? What keeps you going after not winning? We just need to learn what we didn't do right and go and fix it the next time. If we had to do more exercises with our bodies, we do exercises with our bodies. If the car was not set up properly geometrically and the engineers and the team was not up to scratch, we can pinpoint those issues. And if we need to sharpen our skill as a driver, you go back, you sharpen your skill, and voila, better luck next time. Better but luck. you just keep going. Absolutely. We always keep going. Chop Sipuga, thank you so much. So what an honor to have you on the show. Where can we find you on the socials? Well, I, I do have uh, I am on Facebook. <clears throat> on Facebook. I am on Facebook. And you you are Chops Sipuka. Correct. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So have a great run and wish you the best and uh, for the Kayalami race that's happening in Kayalami for the nine hour race. Thanks to you, sir. Much appreciated. Absolutely. That is um, Chapsi Buga, who is um, a legend.
Area Code every weekdays from 9 to 12 p.m. Only on VOW FM 88.1.